and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 143. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Enterprise's fourth season episodes, The Forge, Awakening, and Kirshara. Here we go. The Forge, Season 4, Episode 7, Production Number 407, Original Air Date, November 19th, 2004. Directed by Michael Grossman, written by Judith Reeves-Stevens and Garfield Reeves-Stevens, music composed by John Frizzle. Guest cast include Robert Foxworth as Administrator Vloss, Vaughn Armstrong as Admiral Forrest, Gary Graham as Ambassador Soval, Michael Riley Burke as Koss, Michael Nuri as Arev, and Lark Spies as Stell. Enterprise is ordered to Vulcan after 31 humans die in the bombing of the United Earth Embassy, including Vice Admiral Forrest, who was killed saving the life of Ambassador Saval. Captain Archer meets with the head of the Vulcan High Command, Administrator Velos, who concedes that the Sirenites, a Vulcan faction, might have been responsible. This is possible since, although they claim peaceful tenets, they follow a corrupt form of the teachings of the Vulcan philosopher and father of Vulcan logic, Surik. Further initial video and DNA evidence lead to a Vulcan named Tapa, a known Cyrenite. It makes no sense to think the Cyrenites are responsible for this outrage. We have DNA evidence. Recheck everything, Captain. Question everything. And don't let them keep you on Enterprise. The answers you need are on Vulcan. And however far you have to take this investigation, you have my support. Right off the bat, I want to ask, with these three episodes, unlike a couple weeks back <laughs> when we discussed um, the last three-parter, um, where each one of those was pretty different and really stood alone, I'm wondering, do these three episodes, does this Vulcan three-parter, do these episodes stand alone? I mean, it does literally say to be continued at the end, um, and I'm, I don't recall if it said that between the, the last three, but um, we are discussing them as three separate episodes. But I'm asking, you know, does it feel like a, a self-contained story in this first one, The Forge, for example? Um, it's hard for me to say that there are three separate episodes. I mean, there's – like I think I said this in the last – podcast i mean it, it feels like a three-part story arc you know first second third act it's kind of how it feels to me that's how the last three felt to me even though um you know each kind of had their own thing to say um it's how these feel to me um it kind of feels weird you know the last several podcasts that we've done it's just been i think what we've only had like one standalone episode that was home it's kind of weird you know we've been doing this podcast for so many years now and you know occasionally we'll get the occasional two-parter um but those are far and in between and it's like it's kind of like nonstop all these um, back-to-back episodes. I, th- I think these three strike a, a pretty decent balance between you know being kind of you know having something something to say and and being their own own thing individually. Yet of course, not being able to totally stand alone because it's telling it's telling a story that you have to have all three parts. But I think they're each slightly different in tone or something that they make me feel like, you know, they're it wouldn't be doing justice to say have just one long discussion of all the whole thing together. Yeah. Okay. Well, so what are some of your first thoughts on the forge? What tone do you think this one is setting? Um, well, I mean, I think 
similar to the the last little mini series or whatever <laughs> that we covered, it's um it's kind of it's kind of a a, a trek uh, a, a trekkers. You know, it's it's fun for trekkers because we're going into history. We're seeing a lot of references, and um, you know, this the initial um, ish, the initial thing that starts on in the embassy is what gets it going. But then we begin to explore what's really going on in the Vulcan, the government or whatever that we haven't seen quite to this depth. And so, um, and then from there it kind of starts this whole thing. We have a couple different things going on, but we we see a lot of uh, fun stuff on the planet. The the you know the the Salot and (laughs) all all this. So I mean I think it's I think it's. it, it's it's kind of like this this first one this first of the three is something of a introduction like there's something going on here and we're, we're it's almost like a mystery to solve so it's definitely like the beginning of the exploration of um, of Vulcan society in reference to this mystery and that's kind of what to me what this first part is about yeah um, I gotta throw out there that as usual Tapal is the funniest character on the oh, show. Yeah. <laughs> Vulcan children are never late with their Salot's dinner. <laughs> uh, Adam, what are uh, what are some of your first thoughts here on the Forge? Um, yeah, I agree a lot with Steve there. Um, it's 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 cool to see Vulcan. You know, it's such um, it's co- such a contrast, say, from Earth. You know, it's I don't you know it was cool to see it from from the shots of the planetary shots that when they had um, Enterprise in orbit. I, um, those kind of stood out to me. That was kind of a little bit of a different angle than usually when we see um, Enterprise or some other starship orbiting in the planet. You know, it's the the bottom side of Enterprise, and it seems to be coming up, kind of orbiting the you know the vertical you know part of the planet. You see some water on there, but uh, like I said, the Vulcan is such a contrast from say Earth because it's just desert. It's almost like looking at Mars if you if you think, and it's you know it's cool to see. We got to see a lot of the different buildings and and what the cities are looking that look like, things that you know we haven't normally got to see on Vulcan um, in past series. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to see you know there's a lot of intrigue in this episode from you know previous seasons you know when you know the listening station and you know maybe the Vulcan government isn't what we think it is. You know, when we've come to think of Vulcans as these pure logical, can't lie, and, you know, uncorruptible type of society. And, and in these episodes, we see a lot of crap, especially in the first one, The, vo- the Forge, and it comes, comes, a- comes around in the next two episodes we're going to talk about. We see cracks in their society, at least in their government, how it's not necessarily what you think it w- is supposed to be. I'll tell you what. My favorite thing, probably from all three of these episodes, um, was Saval. I, I've always, you know, the character's always interesting, but he got really cool here. We've seen some little cool bits and pieces, but by the end of this, these three episodes, he feels like a, a member of Enterprise's crew almost. But, but for example, in this episode, to see him come so far, you know, he's willing to um, go th- to mind meld. Right, and which, by the way, that mind meld sequence I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's willing to do that, you know. Um, after they present their evidence, and Velas and uh, the other dude, um, you know, chastise him and reprimand him uh, for performing that mind meld, and then don't really seem to take his accusations uh, with any 
seriousness, um, he decides that he has to go, you know, confront the high command, basically. Um, uh, Trip encourages him, you know, maybe now is a better time for us to join our forces, but he's not quite there yet, you know, and that's another cool thing. Like I say, he's willing to do a lot, but he's not quite willing to go that far. Not until he sees the high command, you know, really even more than brush him off, try and push him out so that he can't do anything, you know, then he, then he's willing to go and, and work with Trip. But um, yeah, for all three of these, I'm going to you know, say this a lot, I bet, but I like how Saval came off. And, and um, you know, it opens with uh, Forrest, you know, sacrificing his life to save Saval, um, which obviously means something to him, that nice scene where he comes to speak with uh, Archer in the cargo bay with all those coffins. Um, I mean, that was, a, that was a nice scene. It was interesting that Archer kind of, you know, he just wants him to leave at first when he comes in there because um, he's, you know, he's upset. Um, and he doesn't see that who Saval really is yet. It's almost a shame that he's not really going to see that in person because he's going to, all three of these episodes, he's mostly going to be down on, on the surface while Saval is up on, on Enterprise and they can't communicate. But um, anyway, that, that's, that's what I like the most about this. I like what they did with Saval here a lot. Yeah, and it kind of makes sense with that scene with him and Trip. Um, Trip says, like, you know, I, you know, you don't really seem like you liked humans, and then he mentions that he spent thirty years with humans. So obviously, they're going to rum off on him a little bit. And I think um, mm-hmm. he, um, him, and Forrest had a. I mean, it seems like they had a, even a really good um, relationship, even in past seasons um, that they worked together. So I think you're right, Brian, that um, the fact that he died and the fact that he died saving him had a real impact on him. Did we were we surprised about Forrest's death? Did it bother us? Did we miss him? Was it a big deal? Was it I'm asking a lot of questions. <laughs> was it was it worth it, you know? Did they get something out of it? I think they did because of um what you were talking about with Saval. Mm-hmm. I think that had that kind of transformed him. Um Maybe he was already, you know, pushing that line, what you were talking about, Brian, you know, becoming more open to humanity and that kind of thing. But probably um, Forrest's death, you know, made him come all the way. I think that's um, – so I think it – I don't think it was for nothing. I don't think it was just for dramatical. I think it was for the, the Saval character. So we can all – because, you know, for the past seasons, you know, he's been very, you know, obstructive to, you know, Archer and his mission and that kind of thing, kind of almost adversarial at times. Um, and I think as an audience that you see this, you know, not only because they have that nice um, discussion before, you know, the explosion and before Forrest dies, you know, you know, Forrest tells him what, you know, this is what humanity wants. They want to work with him. They want to, they want to be partners. You know, that's his goal. And, and when he dies, that, that stays with Saval. So I don't think it was for nothing. I think it's interesting they did it like they announced the death, you know, you didn't see it, and it wasn't like yeah. a big, huge thing. I think that's that's something different and interesting, and it keeps the episode moving. The pace is good, because I don't think, I mean, he's a big character for the series, but it's not so much so that it warrants some kind of big melodramatic nonsense going on, and instead it's just kind of like, instead it's almost shocking they just say, oh, and by the way, he died in the captain's log, and it's you know, hey, you know, but it keeps it moving, yet it still has some some weight to it. Yeah, I remember feeling a little weird about that at the mm-hmm. time. I remember being like, 
almost feeling like I needed more of a closure. Like maybe I needed, felt like I needed to see it, but I didn't feel that way at all now. Not even a little mm-hmm. bit. I agree with you completely that it, that just saying it in the log was, was, was good and good enough. And it, and it specifically helps uh, with the pacing to keep it moving. Yeah. And the scene with Archer and the, the coffins that kind of, that's a little bit of closure too. You see, um, should we, we should talk a little bit about, so they meet this mysterious Vulcan, who turns out to have oddly very little screen time over the, over the course of these three episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that was kind of, I think that's if anything, maybe that's where this episode missed the mark just a smidge for me because there wasn't enough to him. I don't necessarily mean screen time. I mean like he's he's this great philosopher. He's he's their leader. We don't know it at the time, but he sure doesn't seem like he's all that he doesn't seem like um like archer you know archer isn't taken with him at all you know it doesn't feel like it um yeah so the, yeah i hear you it's almost like it, if he's indeed carrying you know Sirox katra and he's the leader of this bunch it feels i mean he's he's kind of interesting and all but it just after after you learn all this stuff it's kind of like oh okay so what you know i mean it's yeah yeah so you think I killed him off a little too quick? No, I don't think it's a screen time question. I think that he should have just had more of an impact when, when he was there. Okay. I like those questions that he asked. Those were the same questions they ask in Star Trek Four when Spock is retraining his mind mm-hmm. from the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, which kind of makes you think, um, Sirach, maybe he's still somehow around somewhere doing something because <laughs> those questions come up in the tra- retraining program. Well, I mean, you have to assume that they keep passing him down. I mean, if he's yeah. lasted like 1800 years or whatever they're said, you know, mom, I got a test on Friday. Can I borrow a Ciroc? <laughs> <laughs> Just for the morning. <laughs> What's this episode about? Whoa! Silence. <laughs> well, a lot of I mean, you know, a lot of it could be said, you know, saying goodbye to some of not a lot of it, you know, in the scene saying goodbye to Forrest. Um, you have the transformation of Saval, Saval opening up to new ideas, to new thought processes. Uh, yeah, I think there's there's definitely some element of don't take things at their face value because this episode is a bit of a, I mean, not that. We haven't already seen that Vulcan society is not what we're used to in the later treks, but this one really it starts peeling away those layers, you know, like an onion. I mean, yeah. it, that's that's what I feel like. It's like you know, you know, is the, just dig deeper because you're going to find some interesting things. I mean, that, to me, it's it's the value of investigation to some extent, and you can determine, you know, and in, in some cases for some of these characters, even about themselves, you know. All right, no, I'll t- I'll take that. Um, I do think this episode needs, you know, the next episode, but, mm-hmm. you know, it literally does say to be continued, so that's all right. I don't, I'm assuming these aired, well, Steve, you were, you read the air date, were these like just one a week for three weeks? Uh, yes. Hmm. Yeah, I remember this back then, it was kind of like, uh, you know, you had... The back you, you had Soong, there's three episodes, and then we went jumped right into this. I remember it kind of being like, oh, 
very I'm I, I remember watching these back in 04 and going okay I can't wait for that next week it's like you, I'm not, you weren't used to this with Star Trek really yeah, um, yeah. I mean even though they kind of tried to do this in season 3 to me it just didn't really work out that well um, until this season Let's do six degrees for The Forge. Adam, are you going first or second? Um, I guess I'll go first. Vaughn Armstrong makes his final appearance as Admiral Forrest in this episode, counting Broken Bow as one episode. How many times did he play the character? Uh, was it eight, 11, or 14? I mean, how many episodes? I'm going to say eight. No. Um, multiple choice. I'm not going to give Steve a chance, but what would you have guessed, Steve? I guess 11. No, 14. Wow. 14. Wow, right. And this is not counting um, Maximilian Forrest in uh, <laughs> Darkly. I'm not counting that one. Uh, all right, Steve. Robert Foxworth plays Administer Vlas, the leader of the High Council and all-around bad guy. <laughs> in DS9's fourth season, he played Admiral Layton. Why does Layton recommend extreme security measures be taken at Starfleet headquarters? Who does he believe has infiltrated Starfleet? Oh, um, Changelings, the founder? Yes, it was the Changelings, the founder. You are correct. Steve has one. Moving on. Awakening, Season 4, Episode 8, Production Number 408. Original air date, November 26th, 2004. Directed by Roxanne Dawson. Written by Andre Bormanis. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Robert Foxworth as Administrator Vloss, Gary Graham as Ambassador Sobal, John Rubenstein as Minister Kubak, Bruce Gray as Surak, Kara Zedeker as Tapau, and Joanna Cassidy as Teles. <laughs> Ambassador Saval is summoned before Administrator Valas and the High Council to face punishment over his use of a mind meld. Since the act is widely considered to be criminal by the Vulcan authorities, Saval is summarily dismissed. Meanwhile, Captain Archer and Commander T'Pol are questioned by the Samaritanites. After a short while, T'Pol is taken to see her mother, Teles, and the two disagree about the tenets of the group. The Vulcan authorities call them extremists, a term Teles disagrees with. Soon, Archer begins to see visions of an old Vulcan, and the dissonance determined that he had the Katra of Surik They transformed him into via mind meld. Our minds are not alone. There's someone else here with us. I sense his presence. Tapau. He has the Katra. There's one thing I wanted to talk about. I like that this these three episodes and this episode, Awakening in particular, kind of give the Katra, this, you know, living spirit being transferred around thing. They it gives it like a real reason to exist. Like mm. because I remember I, I've talked many times, if you've been listening to our show for a while, you know Star Trek Three is my favorite Star Trek feature, which makes it one of my favorite movies ever made, of course. Um but when at the even when you think about it. It doesn't really make like they have this elaborate way. Spock had this elaborate way to transfer his living essence to someone else right before he dies. But how many times throughout history would there have been this crazy confluence of events which actually resulted in his body being, you know, reborn? <laughs> That's never, never going to happen. That was just a fluke of Gen the Genesis planet, right? Mm -hmm. um, so those episodes almost—I mean, that that movie, excuse me—almost made it seem like um, this. Katra thing existed for 
no, I mean, why, why would you ever use it? It doesn't make any sense, right? Like, because that isn't going to happen again. But this episode of Enterprise um, gives it a purpose. So there, it, there was a different reason, you know, Star Trek Three used it, you know, in a weird way, just so that Spock could live. And and when is it the same character to Pow? No, that's the one from uh, Amok Time. Right, right, right. Okay. right. Well, a different, different high priestess or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, when she says what you're, what you're asking Star Trek Three, when she says what you're asking for hasn't been done in ages past, she's not talking about what they're doing here in Awakening. She's talking about, you know, reintegrating that yeah. into body. So that it just, I love that this episode Awakening um, makes my favorite Star Trek movie stronger. <laughs> it fixes the, the the holes that were in the movie in a way, well, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, remind me again, Brian. It's been a while since I've watched three. So Sarek comes to Kirk, and he, um, so he wants Spock's Katra to put it. What was his? He wanted it just for that specific reason, or did he just want it just because? No, well, he wouldn't have known about the body exactly. So it's almost implied like he wants it to be brought to Mount Soleil so that because uh, he says, um, I know every line of the movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Bones is is struggling, and he's got Spock's Katra. You know, but he thought uh, it was in Kirk first, right? I believe the line is, "Yeah, that's what, that was his first guess." But one alive, one not yet, both in pain. So bring Bones to Mount Soleil so that they can both get um, relief, basically, um, some peace. They can both get peace. So I, I, the implication is that Spock's Katra will be freed. Or something, and then bones will just be okay. But then, of course, later once we have a body, that we got somewhere else for it to go. Maybe they were going to take it out and put it on, put it in either somebody else. Again, this is this is ret- retconning it thanks to Awakening. But maybe they were going to take it out and put it in somebody else, or take it out and put it in one of those cute little bottles that they could, you know, hide away right. for eighteen hundred years. And why did they go back to Gen? Like I said, it's been a while. Why did they go back to Genesis? They to specifically to retrieve Spock's body, or the Genesis um, plan? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right, now we're talking about Star Trek Three and not Awakening. Yes. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I like how Awakening uh, fixes some of the holes in Star Trek Three. Um, any of our listeners think I'm reading too much into this, or think it should be interpreted a different way? Feel free to uh, email us <laughs> trekcompanion at gmail.com. Uh, but in the meantime, um, yeah, I like that about this this episode. What, what are your guys? Is uh, some of your first thoughts here on Awakening? Um, I like that too. I like the, you know, it's, you know, it's copy good for Star- Yeah, copy. Well, yeah, it's good for fans. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you know, I think Steve mentioned this in the, in at the previous episode. You know, we get a lot of good Trek lore in here, and it's if you're a really big Star Trek fan and you followed all the shows, it's, um, yeah, the Awakenings, the transfer of the Katra, you're gonna go right back to. Um, Spock and Genesis and all that kind of stuff, you know. So it's only natural that we we start this episode by talking about Star Trek Three. Um, um, I'm gonna go off a little bit. I like um, we didn't. I like Tucker in these. I mean, you know, this is more in the three part episode. I mean, the maturity. Yeah, the Mm -hmm. Commander Tucker and the the maturity of his character and the way he kind of handled it. I know it's a little bit off topic to what the actual episode, the meat of this episode, but um. He really stood out to me in these three episodes, how much he's matured. And, you know, when we saw him in the last season when he was doing, you know, the previous three seasons where he's doing silly things like you're going, what, what's going on with this character? So I just kind of wanted to bring up Commander Tucker and 
the maturity and how well he handled handled command and handled all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's going to be a lot. I think uh, we'll have a lot more to say or should uh, in the next episode about that whenever you know they go up with the, to the Andorians. Sure. Um. So yeah, I I agree with that, and and this episode is where Trip has that exchange with Saval you were talking about. Did a good job hiding your affinity for humans, and Saval says thank you. You know, so we get a lot of uh, Trip Saval um, back and forth in this episode. They they have a good um, working relationship and interesting chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve, some of your first thoughts on Awakening? Yeah. Um... Like I said before, I think there is just a kind of a different vibe for each of these episodes, kind of what they focus on. I think I think it's a positive that they didn't – I think they easily could have got it um, – with Archer having the uh, the Katra of Sirach, I think they could have got bogged down in some silliness, you know, too much. But I think they, they did a good balance with that, you know, with the, with the kind of communications, dream sequence type things. I didn't think it was too over the top. Um, and you get the impression he's kind of this mix of himself and Sir Rock, and for that matter, Siren and all of that. I think they did well to keep that balance. They didn't get too nutty or silly or something. Yeah, the, watching the scenes of um, you know how Vulcan almost destroyed itself, you know we've heard that mm-hmm. numerous times. So you kind of got to see a little bit of that. Um, you know the nuclear holocaust. That looks like that's what occurred on Vulcan 1,800 years in the past. So that was very interesting as well. Um, again, I'm going to talk about the the city. You know, I think in this episode is where we first got to see the different the cities of um, Vulcan, the different buildings and architecture and structure. Uh, my one complaint here would be, I just it just feels a little bit too obvious. You know that Velos is kind of the orchestrator of the bombing, so that he can destroy the Serenites. You know, at least it turns out to be. You know, like it's just that we there's just one too many scenes where you feel ahead of the show, and everybody else you're like, why do they all not see this? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Um, well, because he, yeah, he's so emotional too, which is very yeah. unusual for Vulcan, and it's 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 not dissimilar to what we talked about um, in the last <laughs> series in terms of the villain. You know, it's just it's it's too much. It's just like this. Evil, 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 yeah. bad, bad, bad in your face. I mean, the yeah. one thing that brings it back slightly for me is just that it turns out there is another step to his plan. You know, yeah. there is another level when we get into all the Endoria stuff, which is right at the very end of this and then the beginning of the next one when we first kind of see it from him and learn about it. But yeah, it, ju- it does feel a little bit mustache twirly. Yeah, we, we, we talked about this off the mic um, in between these episodes, how he's, it's a similar character to Homefront and Paradise Lost and DS9, you know, that guy's very, yeah. Oh, security, yeah, I'm sure that's why they cast him. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, other than the fact, but uh, let's always remember Steve Embry's rule of evil and ba- um, mm-hmm. admirals. Right. He, yes. <laughs> the one thing that made me chuckle a little bit, though, was, Near, near the end, you know, like, we must find the Kirshara. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. They round the corner, and there's a door of ancient origin, which they then open, and there's, there's the Kirshara. <laughs> this is the missing artifact for 1,800 years. Right. Yeah? This and is, not only that, but they've been encamped next to it for how many months or years? Right. Uh, at least, I don't know. A lot. Um, and they had... Somebody had 
Xerox um, Katra or whatever. But I'm just saying, it seems like they were right there. It wasn't very hard to find. <laughs> yeah, as we've kind of established earlier in this season, Vulcans just aren't explorers, you know. They just, <laughs> just don't look around much. <laughs> it's not logical. <laughs> if I sit here long enough, the Kiyoshara will present itself. <laughs> yeah. I think I might have missed so the opening I know I'm going back to the previous episode the forge that opening scene where they're where they say 17 years in the past and they're opening up I, was that ever explained what the heck they yeah, pulled that's, out um, that's they're finding Sirox Katra okay that's what that remember is they, they talk in I don't remember which episode it is but one of these I think it was maybe Awakening no no it was it was forge where they talk about uh, you would you could put your Katra in a you know in a jar basically and then uh <laughs> And that's what that was. So they found Sirox Katra 17 years earlier. I must have missed that. I'm, I apologize to the viewer, listeners out there. I was, kind of was falling asleep a little bit during the Forge, so I probably missed that. <laughs> wasn't that I didn't enjoy the episode. It was kind of late at night. I was dozing off. Sure, I actually sure. had to go back and watch the end twice because I was like, "Where did this? what happened? <laughs> we could have watched the uh, last time on Star Trek Enterprise at the beginning of Awakening. Um <laughs> What do we think about uh, Teles, uh, Tapal's mother dying, her death scene? Well, I mean, I, I but, uh, her character in general in, in this episode, you know, I think I think it's interesting that that she's part of this, and I think it's kind of this leads to this leads to this kind of A to B to C in the in the sense that we get to dissolve the marriage because. They did it for her mom, who happened to be part of this group. You know, it, all this this kind of chain of events. But I do think, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? They, I think everyone kind of knew everything was winding down. So how much are you going to use to Paul's mother? And then you get to use her death to show off um, how good of an actress Jolene is. I mean, you know, so it's, you know, I, I thought it was fine. I, I didn't think it, you know... She, her character wasn't nearly as compelling as she was in the last time. The last time we right. saw her, of course. Right. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, um, I was. Felt, I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast. I kind of felt shortchanged after home. It just kind of ended right when she was, I guess, walking down the aisle, and then I don't know. I I'm I kind of feel like they could have done a little bit more with that storyline. Could have had maybe even its own episode with her marriage, more about her mother relationship, but. There's only so much time to do so much. Um, yeah, I kind of felt it was fine, but I wasn't overly impressed or unimpressed about it. You know, basically, DePaul is is mad at her most of this episode, and then and then she dies. So it kind of sucks for her. Hmm. Um. Yeah. All right. The next thing I was about to say, I realized, is for the next episode. Uh, what's this episode about? What is Awakening about? Well, I guess it's a, a lot of it is Awakening. You know, you have um, Archer having Sirrock inside of him, awakes him up, awakens him to not only, um, you know, Vulcan history, but it it opens it opens him him up to Vulcans. You know, his prejudice and that kind of and these things that he's been carrying around for so long. Um, we'll get more into that into the next episode. Um, for T'Pol, it's, um, you know, saying goodbye to her mother. I mean, so it moves, um, it definitely moves our characters forward, not only in the storyline, but just as characters in general. 
Yeah, I agree. It's like an awakening, like as in broadening one's horizons, because you have, as you mentioned, Archer, who's um, obviously his mind's blown here with Sirach in there, and then and and uh, Teles's death obviously adds some perspective for T'Pol. Plus, you have you know Trip um, getting his own lesson with uh, Saval on the. You know, Saval helping them. Previously, obviously, he wasn't a big fan of Saval. So, I mean, I think it's kind of opening people's minds up, you know. Yeah, all of our main characters are taken up a level, if you will. Let's do Six Degrees for Awakening. Uh, Steve has one. Steve, are you going first or second? Oh, first. Bruce Gray plays Sirach in Archer's Fevered Dreams. He played Admiral Chikate. Chikate. I don't know. In Next Gen's seventh season, in the first of a two-parter in which Picard goes by the name Galen. Name the episode. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um. <laughs> Shoot. I'll give you a hint. It's blank part one, and then the sequel, the second episode was called blank part two, and you <laughs> have to fill in the blank. Actually, for some reason, that made things click in my head. Is it Gambit? Is it Gambit? <laughs> yes, it was yeah. Gambit. <laughs> that hint was a joke, you know. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay. Gambit is correct. Uh, Adam, Josh Rubenstein plays Minister Kuvak, the minister that doesn't really like Veloz's plans, but doesn't really complain either. We last saw him in Enterprise's first season in the episode Fallen Hero as a Maserite captain, who is Archer ordered to retrieve from Mazar. Who is he ordered? Person? Who, what person is he ordered to? Re- is that who you're referring to? I, I don't need a proper name. You give me a position there. The name of the episode was Fallen Hero. The Fallen Hero. Um, I don't know. I, mean, I think I'm misunderstanding the question. I don't know. Steve? I'm blanking on this one. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe I ask it poorly, guys. Sorry. Uh, the Vulcan Ambassador. It's the person that the the woman who she played a lot of other Star Trek roles that Tip oh, that yeah, yeah. all looked up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm just uh, yeah, I remember it. I the just, character. Okay, that's yeah. yeah. So I was okay. looking for Vulcan ambassador. Sorry. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, so what is that? Steve has two. Moving on. Kirshara, Season 4, Episode 9, Production Number 409, Original Air Date December 3rd, 2004, Directed by David Livingston, Written by Michael Sussman, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy and Kevin Kiner. Guest cast include Robert Foxworth as Administrator Bloss, Jeffrey Combs as Commander Shran, John Rubenstein as Minister Kubak, Gary Graham as Ambassador Saval, Michael Riley Burke as Koss, Kara Zedeker as Tapau, Todd Stashwick as Taylock, and Jack Donner as Vulcan Priest. Enterprise heads to Andoria after Ambassador Saval informs them that the Vulcans believe they have been developing Zindi weapons technology. Saval guides Enterprise to a nebula where the Andorian fleet is hiding. Commander Shran is dubious and abducts and tortures Saval. After Shran is satisfied, Enterprise joins a fleet of six Andorian ships to intercept the Vulcans. Meanwhile, at the forge, Captain Archer, Commander T'Pol, and T'Pol have found the Sered Karasaro, which um, Simeronites believe will usher a Vulcan enlightenment. They endeavor to take it to the capital. <laughs> Release me! I can't! 
Not until I'm certain you've told us the truth. Then I suggest you increase the setting and get this over with. Kirshara. Yeah, start, sometimes I look at my notes and I just think, Star Trek is funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is this makes sense to anybody who's seen the show. So we get, I got Soval talks to Nebulas question mark. Then I got Tapau offers to share her Teles meld and cure Tapal's meld syndrome. And then <laughs> Shran kidnaps Soval and tortures him with emotions. <laughs> Star Trek is funny. Um, let's see. Um, I did have one of those moments of where I briefly questioned the tech, and it's like, wow, this is this tech is amazing. Like when, you know, they're communicating with someone out in the void, and the computer knows when you're just talking aside to your friend or whatever, versus addressing it <laughs> to the. <laughs> you know. Uh, so, um, Adam, why don't you start talk a little bit about because um, you, you you were impressed with Trip and his leadership capabilities. So here we have him. Uh, he makes the decision. In fact, he's confronted by Reed. I think it is. Uh, are you sure? Warning the Andorians about the Vulcan attack is the right thing to do. Aren't we betraying our allies here? You know, um, Trip makes this choice, and he says, basically, I'm trying to do what. I think Captain would do. Yeah, he's trying to stop a war. Um, yeah, it's they mature the character up quite a bit in these um these three episodes. Um, even the scene before when he was when he's going head to head with um Veloss, Um, I don't know. You kind of I don't know if you you guys do this, but sometimes it's kind of like yeah, you kind of think about what he should what you would want him to say it's kind of like all right go ahead and destroy enterprise you'll never be you'll never be allies with earth again because we just saved that planet that's what i was <laughs> i was thinking in my head but yeah it was pretty um pretty ballsy of him to kind of go um head to head with the with the leader of the the vulcan world you know um and damn near call his bluff i mean i don't think um obviously the boss probably would have destroyed enterprise in um in Vulcan orbit. So, I mean, he obviously, you know, he made the right choice by leaving orbit after, well, I mean, he didn't have a choice. I mean, they were being attacked, but he took it that far. Um, and that's something, you know, that's something that we would see from Archer or any other commander. I mean, commander Riker, they would, you know, that, that, that ability to command that, um, we, I don't think we've seen in Tucker thus far. And, um, you know, he's taking a big risk and, you know, he's, um, defying orders from, Starfleet command. Um, so I think it's a big step for him in these episodes. I'm um, a big maturity step for his character. And like I said, he's, he's becoming awakened. <laughs> Wait, don't you mean he's becoming Kishara? Mm. <laughs> um, does the fact that Archer can do the Vulcan neck pinch imply that they were doing those nerve pinches 1,800 years ago? I don't know. I, can't, I mean, that's it's not definitive evidence, but... Uh, hmm. Yeah. I just have this image of... Because of, 1,800 years ago is when Vulcan nearly destroyed itself and they were a warring people. I just have this image of thousands of Vulcans on a battlefield... This, yeah, all paired over. off two, two, and two, and two, and in each pair, <laughs> each one is just trying to reach the other one's neck. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Thousands of them. That's all they're doing. 
<laughs> That's my image. I suppose he could have got it from Siren, you know, because he got yeah, some stuff done. So, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, during those five, doesn't, um, aren't Vulcans supposed to be a lot stronger than humans? I mean, Archer's pretty well holding his own against all those Vulcans. He's got it going on. I mean, we've seen him, the skills, you know, with mm-hmm. the, we see in this miniseries, Vulcan well, and the all. Not only does he exactly hold his fight. own, but T'Pol doesn't. Yeah, she gets knocked out. <laughs> That's a pretty much a cold cock. I was like, damn. That's, yeah. Only like got Batista there, huh? <laughs> 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 uh, well, Batista didn't even go down, so. <laughs> Forgive me, listeners, if you didn't follow that reference. It had nothing to do with Star Trek. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I also wanted to point out, I think I actually think it's pretty tense, that that kind of very brief standoff between um, the Andorians with Enterprise in the middle and uh, the Vulcans on the other side. I actually thought that was pretty intense. I almost would have liked some ideal world where they had time, you know, to extend that in another 30 seconds or a minute or something. I think that um, they, maybe they go a little bit too fast into the fight, but that's just a minor amount of comment. Um, so I, I do like that. I, I think that the kind of resolution, the action resolution of of Archer coming in and showing the little, uh, you know, Star Wars map. Mm-hmm. And that gets the minister to finally stun Veloss, and then they have the battle stop or whatever. Um, I don't know. There was something slightly not satisfying about that exactly. But, I mean, it, 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 it works. Um, it's, just, it's just this sense of, as, as the climax of all three episodes really maybe it wasn't quite what i'd hope for maybe but i don't know it was it, i mean it was fine and, you know and then we did get we did get to see what i really wanted that, that i de- needed to feel any satisfaction which was you know saval um you know saying uh you know good is coming from all, all of this um you know, Earth is going to be able to have a real relationship now with with Vulcan, and Vulcan is going to be there for Earth. You know, um, and that's going all the way back to the very beginning of the first one today, where where Forrest is killed. You know, and it gives it gives giving all this stuff a purpose. Um, uh, you know, Forrest and of course, um, to Paul's mom in the previous episode. Um, but yeah, that that fight. Um, that fight was kind of funny. It looked like there was a couple of who, who's that girl yeah. moments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, this is the same character that presides over as an old woman in Amok Time. At least it's the same name, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. When I was reading uh, it, yeah, it's the same character. It's it is, same. okay. What I was reading. Because you watch Amok Time and you don't really picture her mm. in this kind of fight. <laughs> no. Shouldn't she look years, a little no. older here, though? Or younger in a muck time, but uh, I'm sorry, that doesn't. That's picky. Um, but well, yeah, it looked like a it looked like a stunt woman wearing with a much bigger body and a much bigger head, <laughs> wearing a wig. That's what it looked like. Yeah, I saw Archer get hit with the sharp end of that. What is it? The the Vulcan bat lift. I guess saw him get hit with the sharp end in the face a couple of times. <laughs> he should have been all cut up. Well, I think one side is rubber, and the Vulcan was accidentally using the wrong side. <laughs> um, this Brian, is one I, yeah. I was going to say I don't know if you heard this. Um, 
Steve and I were saying, you know, it would be cool since, you know, we have Tapao. You know, she was in obviously the original. The character was in. The Are you going to say that every time she hit somebody, she should have said Tapao? Tapao. <laughs> it would have been a good catch time. No, we would like to see Tapal in the JJ verse. I huh. should get that out sure. there. Yeah. Huh. Wouldn't that be fun? Um. Well, I'll say something that I know was fun. I thought it was kind of cool that uh, so that guy that is talking to um, to Paul, you know, that captures her and says, I served under you or whatever. He turns out to be a Romulan agent that was helping to orchestrate this civil war. Yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, that was kind of neat. That was kind of neat. Um, I read a little bit there. So Mike Sussman originally wrote that to be some other alien or something, and then they were going to cut it because they couldn't afford it. So then he said, well, what if I'm and this is this is really brilliant. He says, "Okay, we're already paying this actor. It's more cost us an extra dime. He's going to turn out to be a Romulan, <laughs> and then he he wore an outfit from Nemesis or something. So mm-hmm. it didn't cost him anything, really. Mm-hmm. Nice, you know. Good that's pretty brilliant. Doing. Yeah. What hey, what did you guys think of the torture scenes? I didn't. I wasn't really quite sure why they took it that far because so Shran's torturing him to find out if he's yeah. telling the truth. I don't. It's it just seemed I, weird. I understand, of course, that Shran distrusts, distrusts Vulcan, Vulcans, but if there's any one Andorian who might possibly trust any one Vulcan, it's Shran mm. with Saval. So that he takes it as far as he does, yeah, it feels, it feels a, little, a little forced. I, um, I think Shran is smarter than that, and we've seen that he has experience with Saval. Um, but you know the the way to explain it that isn't pleasant is to just say that he really does hate Vulcans that much, you know, and and right or wrong, you know, whether it's fair that he does, um, he has a reason for doing so. What were you gonna say, Steve? Oh, I didn't. I didn't think of anything in particular, but yeah, it, it well, what kind of bothers me about it is that. I mean, I, that you have to come to that conclusion because if he was just given orders to do that, he could have just, you know, did some token torture gesture or something and then moved on. But, you know, because who, who's, who's watching him? You know, I mean, is the people under him? I mean, they're not going to say like, hey, what was your orders? You know, you should be, you know, so it it is kind of bothersome. And it does feel a little bit like time killing, too. It just kind of goes on. But... Yeah, yeah, because yeah, too many scenes. Because he's not really trying to abstract. I mean, to me, he's not really trying to abstract information out of him. He's trying to. I, I don't. If he's see if he's lying, you know. So it's more like how much can he endure? Is he, you know? And I guess when he mentioned, you know, when he talks about it later, you know, no man, you know, he he believed him because he didn't change his story. So I don't know. It was kind of weird the whole torture scene because I, usually you're torturing somebody to extract information out of them. He was just doing it to see if he was lying, so it seemed kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, what's this episode about? And also, well, let's do that first. What's this episode about? I mean, I guess. Hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. Something. Give me something. 
Is this a bad episode? Because you can't tell me what it's about. Well, a lot of it. I mean, you could. There's some themes of it of coming to maturity. Um, you were. Uh, I talked about Tucker coming to maturity, becoming, being able to take command and being trusted with command. In a lot of ways, um, you could say that about Starfleet. You were, you were mentioning how Saval was saying, you know, Vulcan is no longer gonna be watching, or was that T'Pol was no longer gonna be watching over your back. You're, you're, you're on. It's not that you're on your own, but you're. The training wheels are off. You are. You're, we're, you know, you're evolved enough to handle handle yourself. We we trust you. We believe you. So, maybe a lot of this episode has some has some trusting themes. You know, we talked about Saval. I mean, Shran learning to trust Saval. Um, now the Vulcans trust the humans. I don't know. If there's those those kind of themes. I think I think maybe there's uh, it's kind of a. There's a transition here, you know, like the the first one, as we talked about, felt a little bit like a coming to some kind of, um, you know, investigating some kind of issue, you know, whether that's a, a larger external or internal issue. Awakening, as we kind of talked, is about an awakening. And then in this one, it's the implementation of that, which oftentimes is the trickiest part, you know, actually following through with – you know, after you've come to some kind of realization that something needs to change, and sometimes it's not the easiest thing to uh, implement, um, to just change the way you've been doing things, or to start trusting people you didn't trust before, or whatever. And so, in that way, I think this three-part episode, three-part three uh, series here, these episodes kind of tell that tell that story, you know, of um, recognizing an issue, coming around to what the problem is, and then you know, taking action to make a change. All right, cool. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask was kind of compare, contrast these these three, but I think that, that does it. So, cool. So, did you guys, you guys like these episodes? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. Which which is the better of the three, uh, do you think? Which is the weaker of the three? Hmm. All about the same? Yeah, I mean, I I look at them as just one episode. I know we we've discussed them as three separate ones, and they have their own three separate themes and stuff. But I I look at it as just one episode. All right, well, let's do six degrees for Kirshara. Uh, Steve has two. Adam, are you going to go first or second? Um, I guess I'll go first. I already asked about John Rubenstein, Minister Kuvak's previous role. Uh, previous Enterprise role in Fallen Hero. He also appeared as John Evansville in an episode of Trek called The 37s. Which Star Trek series was that? Voyager. You are correct. It was Voyager. Uh, Steve. Jack Donner plays the Vulcan priest that rids Archer of that pesky Surak Katra in the original series. He played Romulan subcommander Tall in the third season episode in which Kirk and Spock steal the Romulan cloaking device. Name the episode. Oh, yeah. Um, the Enterprise incident? You are correct. All right. Uh, I guess that's Steve 3, Adam 1 for the day. Steve has it for the day. Yeah, it's not often we get asked an original series question here, and I think that <laughs> might be the longest. This was 2004. And his original series performance was in 68. Well, that was the beginning of season three, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's wow. a really long time between uh, <laughs> your first and last Star Trek performance. Yeah. Uh, More or less just a cameo role in this last episode, too. Well, he had a line, though. He didn't have a line. Uh, cameos, right, not, uh, there's a lot of cameos that have lines, my friend. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a different pace scale. A Mar- <laughs> yeah, you ever watched a Marvel movie? <laughs> um, uh, we're coming up on um, the uh, creation show in Vegas. Uh, if any of our listeners are going to be there, send me an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. I'm going to be there. And uh, after the first couple of days, I'll be all by my lonesome. So send me an email. Aww. Yeah. Um, let's see. You can also... Follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion, and um, you can our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash Trek Companion, um, and uh, yeah, exciting summer we got Beyond coming up. <laughs> All right, and then some new Star Trek thing next year. I don't know mm. what's going yeah. on with that. Yeah, we'll have to find out. And uh, one quick note: our next podcast, we are only going to be talking about the next two episodes of Star Trek Enterprise. All right. So um, thank you again for spending an hour with us. Um, And until next time, uh, make the world a better place and uh, take it easy. Bye. See you. I passed it.